the blast from our past network. Jake, welcome back. Was your trip productive? Fairly. This is Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's come to check on our progress. Your clones are very impressive. You must be very proud. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Ever made your way as far into the interior as Coruscant? Once or twice. Recently? Possibly. Then you must know Master Cypher Dias. Oh, Baba, who did so he? Master who? Cypher Dias. Is he not the Jedi who hired you for this job? Never heard of him. Talking Back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. And this week on the podcast, we are doing the second episode in our Star Wars franchise walkthrough. This week, we are covering episode two, Attack of the Clones. Dean is here as well as a very special guest. And when this guest isn't busy podcasting, you can find him collecting bounties past the Outer Rim, enjoying a cold beverage at the Mos Eisley Cantina, or escaping a Sarlacc pit. Welcome back, Corey Stevenson. <laughs> Should I do my Boba Fett voice? Oh, hell yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Or I guess in this case, it would be my Django Fett voice. Right, right. Boba Fett's in it. It's just a smaller yeah, voice. Yes, 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 he does. Yeah. Dad, Tom Nui's here. <laughs> Baby Boba. He's adorable. <laughs> yeah, he is. And thank you guys for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Of course, Corey. Anytime. You know you're, you're always welcome. It's an open door policy here. <laughs> Dean, welcome. Thanks, Tim. Uh, after that intro, I've got a bad feeling about this one. Yeah? Why? Hey, dude, if you're going to drop one of your bad jokes, you have to at least be ready to back it up when I call you on it. I said because of after that intro. Okay. What's your bad feeling? You know, the funny thing, the funny thing is my brain immediately went, because if I ever hear that, my brain immediately goes, I got a bad feeling about this drop. You always say that, Frost. You always say, I got a bad feeling about this drop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that works too. That can work too. <laughs> but we're not talking aliens here. <laughs> talking Star Wars. That's right. We are talking Star Wars, yeah. Our second episode here. We did a Star Wars warm-up episode where Dean and I touched on our background with the franchise. Corey, you weren't on that episode, so I'd like to give you an opportunity here. Just kind of share with the listeners uh, like your background with Star Wars. Um, you know, maybe what you saw in the theater, kind of what you think of the franchise as a whole, just, you know, high level, just so people understand a little bit about where you're at with this franchise. Yeah, um, I'm 
Tim and I are the same age. Uh, we're both born in 78. Uh, I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater. Uh, it's like the one of the first movies I can remember seeing. And from that point on, Star Wars just became my life. Uh, I do like to say that Aliens is my favorite single movie of all time, but but Star Wars is life. Uh, Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie. It's got a lot of nostalgic ties for me. Um, but I do love the OT, the original trilogy. Um, I love, love, love the prequels, and that was as- assisted by the Clone Wars and everything, but I, I have definitely grown to... I never hated them. I never started out hating them, but I did get wrapped up in a lot of the, the negativity towards them and like a lot of people uh and you guys included i know to some extent uh the cartoons help you know to kind of make make you sort of solidify your love for it and now i like the prequel era like just the era itself as much as i love the ot era um i'm hit or miss on the sequel stuff um but i'm not gonna write the sequels off just yet because we don't have that that you know Clone Wars cartoon thing to kind of maybe solidify it for me. I'm not sure, and I do think that Star Wars is something that you need to look at over time, and it's not something sort of made for right here and now. It's made for generations down the road. Maybe the sequel trilogy will hold up better. I don't know, but right now I'm not in love with the sequel era. And as far as like uh, you know extended stuff, I read the Dark Horse comics and everything back in the day. So Star Wars has always been in my life in some way, shape, or form, and uh, I love it. I absolutely love that galaxy far, far away. Cool, perfect. And we know your favorite character is Boba Fett. <laughs> I mean, like I, what? Five years old, you know? You you see like somebody like that on screen, and you're just like, oh my god, like this. It's amazing. And yeah, Boba Fett's awesome. I'm watching the show, uh, you know, and everything. And his comeback in Mandalorian was was really cool. But, you know, OG Boba Fett will always be my favorite. But guys and gals, I love Jango Fett. Right when I first saw him right out of the gate, I love his silver and blue. I liked how streamlined he looked. I also kind of liked how he was a little bit beefy. He's kind of got a little bit of a dad bod, you know. And uh, those guns are so cool, too. So, like, yeah, Django Fett, honestly, I think he's cool as hell. Okay, so Django Fett, second favorite character in Star Wars? Mm. It's weird. I would almost tie them, Boba Fett and Jango Fett, for number one. Um, but number two is definitely, definitely Papa Palpatine, baby. Oh, yeah. You, Tim, you go. and I are the same on go. that one. Uh, I think he is fantastic and uh, absolutely love, love, love Sheev Palpatine. And I'm not going to be on the Revenge of the Sith episode, but I just want to say I love that movie. Because of the glee that is in Palpatine's eye, you know, when he's fighting like Yoda and everything, that Revenge of the Sith is like the, a movie about one man's greatest day of his entire life. And I love that about that movie because I love Palpatine so, so much. Well, we are expecting a uh, recording from you um, <laughs> further detailing those thoughts for Revenge of the Sith. So. I will. Don't, don't let the listeners down, Corey. <laughs> I will. Uh, no, I won't. I won't let the listeners down. <laughs> okay, re- really quickly, though, um, I want to know who is your least favorite character? Can be anybody. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't love Jar Jar. I love Phantom Menace. I think it's a great movie. 
I just, it's hard for me to get on board with Jar Jar, and I know that that's really cliche, but it is hard for me to do. Um, I also have never really been a big fan of, like, C-3PO as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't really care. I never connected to the droids, maybe because I connected immediately with Boba Fett. Um, So, yeah, honestly, it's sad but true, but I think Jar Jar is probably my least favorite, but... It, yeah. He doesn't make it that I can't watch that movie, but I just, he's never been redeemed in my eyes. And even in the Clone Wars cartoons, I, I didn't love him there either, in which they toned him down a lot in that, but I didn't love him. And to go yeah. with uh, your conversation in Phantom Menace, uh, I think that Jar Jar being a Sith Lord is a fun little mind experiment. I don't believe that Lucas had any intention of that happening. No, but... Maybe that gets pushed along even more in this movie. No, Tim. We'll get there. No, Settle Tim. down. We'll get there. Dean, uh, no, did Tim. You, he's did just you dumb the... in this movie. <laughs> Dean, well, he's barely in the movie. Dean, um, yeah. okay, hold on. A Sith pretending to be dumb would appear dumb. That's the whole Tim, idea. Tim, I'll tell you why it is completely opposite that when we get there. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, Dean, uh, what's your background with the movie? Uh, the background with this movie, I uh, saw it in theaters. Um, I didn't get advanced tickets, so I got to sit right in the front row. Uh, <laughs> it was, I was on a, the first time I was on a solo date was to this movie. You know, like not with like all your friends, but there's a girl there you like. It was just me and the girl first time. Um, and much like the romance in this movie, it was doomed because she is my ex-wife. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, Ooh. yeah, it's true. Okay. So I love this one. I love this movie. <laughs> you got, wow, you got a lot of feelings about got, this one. I've eh? got baggage in this movie, Tim. Oh, wow. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I did not see wow. that coming at all. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. Now, I did see this in the theater as well. Um, at the time when I watched it in the theater, I liked it more than The Phantom Menace. Like, for me, the thing with Star Wars that gets me more than anything is the story. That's what I love about Star Wars. And it's one of the reasons I feel like I'm able personally to overlook a lot of the shortcomings um, because I try to look through for that story. So this movie in particular, if you can get past the bad acting, if you can get past some really dry dialogue, the story itself in this movie is really quite moving. Um, that's what I rediscovered on this watch. And while it's very obvious to me that like just through discussions I've had with lots of people about this movie in particular, it's not really well liked. It's not really appreciated, but I really enjoyed revisiting this movie this time. And I'm here today to advocate for this movie. And okay, Dean, we have covered two Star Wars movies so far. I would like to say there is already movement in my rankings. Wow! Wow! Oh wow! I did. I uh, I know Dean's uh, rankings are are always perpetually in in flux. Uh, <laughs> always in motion. I, always in motion. Bodies in motion. Stay in motion. In in Dean's list, that's for sure. Uh, wow! I, I'm impressed, Tim. I coming on this episode. I thought I was going to be the strong advocate for it, uh, but I'm I'm happy to hear that. 
And, you know, I, I do want to say that in this, you know, social media crazy world where, like, you have to either love something or hate it and there's, like, no room for gray, I'm going to say, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things I don't like about this movie, you know? And and is it my favorite Star Wars movie? No, it's not my favorite. But I, I do love it. I do very much enjoy it. And I think I you can overlook some of the bad things because there's so much you know, fun in this film. And the story, like you said, Tim, is, is a lot of fun. Uh, I do have a thesis on this film. Should I bust it out now or should I save it? Go ahead. Just don't ruin anything, but yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Do you mean- Because a lot, of people, a lot of people haven't seen this movie yet. <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about, Tim? Okay, because I Everybody do have, knows what happens. I do have spoilers in this, and I know that Dean usually spoils things first, so I think I'm going to be the one that, uh, that spoils it. But what I love about this movie is I consider this George Lucas's equivalent of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yes, he, he's already, he did American Graffiti, but I feel like this was his sort of American Graffiti coming-of-age story, fast cars, uh, you know, sexy women, and, you know, drugs only because of, well, I'll get to that in a second. But, uh, so sex, hot guys, Anakin and Obi-Wan, both of them are hot. Hot babes, pa Padme, Zam Wessel, the Blue Jedi, Aaliyah Sakura, all, like in the Coruscant Club, so many just sexy people in the background, guys and gals. Uh, you even saw Ahmed Best, who plays Jar Jar Binks without his, uh, you know, he's, he played a background character. Good looking dude. Just this movie cool. is chock full of good looking people. Drugs? Death sticks, of course, right? Uh, <laughs> rock and roll. We got fast speeders, like the one Anakin steals to chase the Zam Wessel. We got Django Fett's seismic charge. That thing is rock and roll. Uh, mm -hmm. We got Anakin cutting off that Tusken Raider's head. And finally, we got Mace Windu cutting off somebody else's head. So that's uh, <laughs> so that's how I look at it. As this movie is like George Lucas, like being like. Here's here's American Graffiti, but like in space, you know, it's like a Corvette summer, like all those kind of movies, those coming of age movies, uh, you know, that were very popular in like the late 70s and everything. And even like Corvette Summer has Mark Hamill in it. Uh, it's it, I feel like he was trying to do that here, you know, and of course, you know, we have a lot of wooden acting and, and no chemistry between Padme and Anakin. But, you know, if you can overlook that stuff, it's a wild ride. Yeah, Corey, I'll tell you what, I love that thesis because while there was no movement really on my list, there was slight movement because I did have Attack of the Clones at the bottom. And I what I did is I dug a hole after watching it and buried Attack of the Clones even more down into the into the ground. <laughs> but after your thesis just now, I grabbed the shovel and I've started to un, I started to dig it up again because maybe I need to look at this thing one more time. Ooh. I love that thesis. It makes me like it. Oh, thanks, buddy. I'm I'm I, I hope that that we come at this. and We look at it from all angles because it is not sure. a perfect movie. And I do think it rightfully so falls in some people's latter half of their rankings but hopefully we can also point out some of the cool stuff about this this movie yeah it, it falls in almost everybody's latter half of the rankings um yeah but Corey, i like what you said when you said coming of age because that's what this movie needs to be because it's a coming of age for anakin uh dean i can't believe that you a person who has never come to this podcast against a movie in your life would say such a thing like that on a star yeah. wars episode I know. I was shocked. Scandalous. <laughs> you have let me down. I have told you on podcasts before, 
I only dislike movies if there's something that really, really offends me. If there's something that's really unforgivable, and I do think there is something in this movie that is unforgivable for me. But in saying that, in saying that, Corey's right. It's not just good and bad. I don't just hate this movie. I love this movie. I like this, like the second half of this movie, I'm really, really digging. It's the first half of the movie I just cannot get on board with. Much fear I sense in you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's funny Maybe. because I think my favorite part, my favorite is the first act of this movie. Okay, I, that's why this is going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah, that's why this is going to be great. There's lots, there's lots to love about the movie, but there's a few things that every time I watch it, I just cannot get over because it's what I hate when I watch a movie. It's one of the things that I just really don't like. I love it. Now, this movie was released in 2002 with a budget of 115 million dollars, and this film grosses 653 million dollars. So. Huge amount of money, didn't quite do as good as The Phantom Menace, which is a bit surprising, but still, uh, tremendous, tremendous. Uh, I, I don't think that is. I don't think that is surprising. I think. Uh, I think all that negative feedback from Phantom Menace probably helped or hurt. I'm sorry, hurt the the numbers with this one because I remember going into this one. I mean, you guys, you guys talked about it on the episode. Just the Phantom Menace was not over time became less well received. But I agree with you, Tim. I think we all have false memories about how immediately people think it was bad. I don't think so. I think immediately Phantom Menace was people did receive it well, and then it yeah. kind of that's this yeah. snowball effect happened, and I think that affect the numbers here with Attack of the Clones. I mean, it must have, right? But I, I can't imagine who would have gone to the Phantom Menace and then not gone to Attack of the Clones three years later, right? It's it's. I don't think it's that. I think it's the people who went to Phantom Menace went to Phantom Menace like five times, and then yeah. they only went to Attack of the Clones probably twice. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good point, yeah. I think it's the same thing that happened with Force Awakens and like Jurassic World. Like you just go back, you just go back to the movie over and over because you're just seeing it again. You know, you're just seeing your thing again. But then once the next one comes a short amount of time later, you just go to it once. Hmm. Now, one notable change from The Phantom Menace to this movie was that this film was shot in 24-frame HD digital camera instead of the traditional 35-millimeter film. And this was actually only the third film ever to record in HD and was the catalyst for the movie industry shifting to HD cameras. Now, Corey, I'm not sure if you recently watched Phantom Menace. Obviously, Dean and I have. Dean, did you notice a visual difference between these two movies? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I did as well. There's definitely, definitely a different look and style to it. I would say I personally prefer Phantom Menace's look because I love that film look. But I I think they did good stuff with the cinematography in this. Yeah. What you get in this with the HD camera that I like better is all the wild stuff they can do with the Jedi and the lightsaber fights. Uh, That type of stuff just... It just pops off the screen in this movie. And that's the reason why they were using digital stunt doubles in this movie as opposed to regular stunt doubles in the first movie. So you can do some real cool Jedi shit in this movie. Yeah, you you can see uh, Dooku's head floating a little bit here and there. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You can. Yeah. All right. So let's get going here with the story. So there is unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. This separatist movement, under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku, has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, 
is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating an army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. And right out of the gate, I love how this movie opens with the Coruscant upside down. And it's right away, I think, you're supposed to understand that everything is upside down. Like, like you know, the Sith is, is running the Senate and everything. And this visual cue that I think... George Lucas does a great job with of having the the whole thing upside. It's the only one, the only movie in the whole series that does this. And then even when you get into Coruscant at the beginning scene, it's cloudy, it's foggy because the 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 haze of of the cloud of of the Sith has fallen over everything. It's right there, right out of the gate. He's telling you that everything is messed up right now. Yeah, I've never actually cued into that, but I like that uh, that idea. Yeah. That's cool. What, what I was, yeah, it's a great idea. What I like about the the beginning actually is it feels like a really nice continuation from the last movie. You've got um, now Senator um, of Naboo, Amidala. She's landing on Coruscant along with her decoy, Corday. And it felt like this event, it could have taken place like days after The Phantom Menace, but it's been 10 years. But I like and appreciate the feeling of continuity here. Um, they don't make it feel like there was a 10 year gap. Yeah. And I, I like that. Uh, I, I, I like that one of the like decoys, we have decoys again. And I like that one of the decoys dies because it just like the start of the movie raises the stakes right away. No decoy died in the, in the Phantom Menace. Right. So right away, right. it's like, this is different. This is more serious already than the whole last movie you watched. It was pretty violent. Yeah. R.I.P. Corday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, R.I.P. for sure. I'm not happy she's gone. I'm just happy it's serious now. And how cool was that Naboo, like, giant ship that they come in on, you know? Yeah. I love all the ship designs. I always love the Naboo fighters. I think they're amazing looking. But I love the every design in, in the prequel era. I love every gun. I love all the ships, how shiny and everything it is. And, uh, yeah, just I, I love that giant Naboo. I don't, it's not a fighter, but it's like some kind of transport ship. Yeah. It looks beautiful. I think it's amazing. Their ships are so cool because most of the other ships in the universe kind of look a bit dull. Um, it's not that they're old, but it's just the material. You can tell the material that's being used just isn't like a reflective surface. It's not very nice. It's not clean, more like concrete or something. This ship is, it looks like it's made out of chrome, which is a pretty huge flex for the effects department because to get chrome looking correct is probably the most difficult thing to do. So instead of just deciding to make this ship anything else, they decide to make it the most difficult thing possible for them to work with. And it looks perfect. You can never tell at any point that this might be a fake ship. It always looks real. It's, it's beautiful. Agreed. Now, very early on, we get one of my favorite scenes out of any of the Star Wars movies, and that is seven Jedi sitting in front of Palpatine talking politics. I, I love that the Jedi Council can't detect a Sith Lord right in front of them. Right in front of them. That's, I mean, that's really cool. Yeah, he asks Yoda right to his face. He's just like, hey, Yoda, do you uh, you sense anything going on? <laughs> and he's like, nope, can't do it. I, I can't sense anything. <laughs> and he's like, great. 
And I think that's something that is very understated in the film, but should also be understood as being monumental. Like, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I know that, that Palpatine is, is Sidious, but yeah, he's in front of, like, multiple Jedis yeah. being like, guys, look at me, you know? it's I'm nobody, but no, you're not. You're the, the most amazing villain of all time, yeah. you know? That's awesome. So I think you're right. That's a good thing to point out because it really, really shows you, uh, you know, as much as librarian Jocasta New shows us the hubris of, of the Jedi in, like, a very perfect moment, this shows you how powerful Sidious is without having to show you anything at all. He's powerful in his absence of power. Yeah, cool. Yeah, he's, he, well, they're showing, yeah, his power in the ability to hide himself, to cloak himself, right? A force as powerful as him should immediately be detected by the Jedi. And yep. yet there's all these masters in the room with him and nobody can detect everything. That's how good he is at hiding himself from the senses of these masters. It's, I think it's excellent. And how arrogant he is at just knowing that he's better than them, just knowing that there's no way they'll even detect it. Yeah. I love Sheev. What a great <laughs> Palpatine is able to convince the Jedi Council, since there's already been an attempt on Padme's life, to accept protection from the Jedi, in particular, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and more importantly, his Padawan, Anakin. Now, this obviously is a benefit to Palpatine's plot because he wants Anakin to become closer with Padme. So this is one of the reasons he's doing this. And that kind of throws us into meeting Obi-Wan and Anakin. And I like the dynamic that they introduce with the two because you can tell they've got this really close relationship. Like, they have fun banter. Um, they clearly, you know like each other but anakin also seems to be a really unobedient padawan at the same time <laughs> he's he's a little bit of a bastard in this opening scene here yeah i i like obi-wan being goofy because that's not really yeah. how he was in the first movie at all and then he just like right off the top right in the opening he makes like a joke and like snickers at himself like he's just like <laughs> i'm so funny and right away you just know like okay he he's different now like he's going to bring uh like he's kind of he's kind of the lead now right like he's kind of top build carrying the movie now so he needs to be a bit more uh likable than he was in the first one where he was just kind of stiff yeah i like how I, I, I was going to say, I like how goofy they make him. He's not goofy. He's funny. I, he's I actually funny. Yeah, like all of his jokes in this movie. I think yeah. they're delivered. Like his timing is really good with, with them and they're, they're funny. Yeah. I laugh at them. He's great. Yeah. So there's another attempt on Padme's life while she's in her suite. And this whole thing here, this whole event kicks off this excellent chase scene where Obi-Wan ends up leaping through a window, grabbing a hold of a droid that was trying to kill Padme. And in that moment, like his lack of hesitation or concern for his own safety was so impressive. Yeah, this starts uh, an awesome like section of the movie that I absolutely love. Uh, I love the colors. I love those billboards that Zam Wessel is standing in front of that create this like neon pink hue all around her. Like Coruscant feels 
alien yet feels familiar at the same time. And yeah, when like they're out in the lobby, like Anakin and Obi-Wan are talking and all of a sudden they both stop at the same time. And Obi-Wan's like, I felt it too. And they just go, both go running. And the way he just, Anakin kills those creatures, you know, and saves her. And then, yeah, Obi-Wan jumps out the window, no hesitation. So cool, so freaking awesome. And the chase, the chase that ensues afterwards, I think is absolutely fantastic. Well, let's let's just keep going with it, Corey. Actually, I was I was going to ask you what you thought about this scene. Let's extend it a bit. Like, what did you think about that chase scene, and even getting into the scene after that in the bar? Okay, yeah, I I I think Anik sadly. What only thing that brings it down is I think a lot of Anakin's like dialogue and the way he delivers it is kind of wooden. Like he's like when when they're about to hit that giant ship and he's like ha ha ha, you know, laughing. If you watch him, because Obi Wan's saying pull up, Anakin. If you watch him, he's doing this weird like laugh thing and then he has to pull up. I was like, what was the point of that? But again, if you look past that stuff. The speed of the, of it is exhilarating. The fact that he jumps off. I'm, I always love him just jumping and falling after her, you know? And then the fact that, like, he lands on top of Zam's car thing, which I think her car looks amazing. And then, you know, he's trying to hit her with the lightsaber. She's shooting back up at him. Like, you feel the desperation on both of them, you know? And then on top of it, you've seen all these other aliens that you've already seen in Star Wars and, like, you know, Sebulba's race, uh, Doug's. They're the, the, like, a Doug goes by and stuff. Stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is this is everything, you know. And then you land, they crash land, which that was bad CGI. It, it, but they go into this club. I just, I love it. And after watching the Clone Wars, like now, like even though this was made years before the Clone Wars cartoons, this scene, this whole section, I think fits perfectly with the Clone Wars cartoons. They mimicked it perfectly, and this just feels like an episode of Clone Wars where they go into this, you know, this um club. And again, to my my sex, drugs, and rock and roll, just there is some some thongs in there. I mean, he is Lucas. He says that the Star Wars, you know, Star Wars movies are for kids. This one is definitely for more of an mature audience. Um, but you know, like the fact that like you know, there people are looking around. You know, they're looking around trying to find her, and then Zam comes up behind them, and you know, he just cuts her arm off. It's like wow. It's, eh. And then come on. Jedi business. I love Anakin saying Jedi business. Go <laughs> awesome. go back to your drinks. And yeah. Like that was that's so badass, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and Zam, the the actress, the lady who plays Zam, I and mean, she's freaking beautiful. Yeah. And her costume yeah. is wow. She's one of my favorite designed characters in all of Star Wars. I wish she didn't die, but Unfortunately, that's my luck. Any character that I like seems to die. Um, but yeah, from beginning to end, the moment he jumps out out the window to the moment that Zam Wessel gets shot in the neck by uh, Jango Fett's Camino darts. And by the way, how cool is it that he she gets hit and then you hear the the shot like a second later because mm, of the he's yeah. so far away. Cool. That was so cool. Every bit of the scene, every time I watch it. I pay attention to it. Like, I don't do other things. I am completely invested and wrapped up in it, and I think it's exhilarating. But I think Anakin, his some of his deliveries are not great. Dean, um, what, do you, what do you like? What do you not like about uh, this section here? For me, it's, uh, it's kind of the most I like Anakin. Actually, I might like him a little bit later in the movie as well, but I, I do like him... Um, like I like some of his jokes, how they're written. He might not be really delivering them very well, but I like what they're trying to go for. And what I like about the high speed fast chase is it starts 
on like a starter pistol. Like it's it's like go, and then Obi Wan Kenobi jumps out the window, grabs this thing, and all of a sudden we're just in this super high speed chase, and we're doing it for like ten to fifteen minutes. It just doesn't stop. It's it's super exciting. I, I love I love that. I love how it, it it was so calm before, and then all of a sudden we're just wrapped up in the middle of this thing that is just speeding down uh, down these streets. And it's it's what Corey said. It's like it, it feels alien, but it also doesn't. It's I felt like when I was watching like Fifth Element, and they have sort of chases going through um, Earth. It, it, I think it's supposed to be in Fifth Element. So when I watch Fifth Element, I'm like, oh yeah, I can tell this is Earth, even though I know it's way in the future when there's flying cars. I could tell this is Earth. That's what I felt like with this. It was like, oh, I, this feels like it could be Earth. I know it's not, but it feels kind of like it's uh, familiar. It, fe- it feels like I, I know how this would go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like ads and stuff, like yeah. billboards. Like, we, yeah, we get it. And even though there's Orbesh writing on it and stuff and aliens and stuff, but we still understand what's happening and everything. And I think that's... That's a, that shouldn't, you know, that's not an easy thing to do, yeah. you know, to make things that alien and different, but yet keep them familiar so that the audience isn't just completely disconnected from the entire situation. Yeah, totally. And I think what I what I really like about the sort of Anakin Obi-Wan stuff going on is I think it's the best execution of Obi-Wan just like telling Anakin what to do and him just being like, oh, yeah, I did it wrong. I'll do it better. I'll try better next time. I think that's sort of the best that they do in the movie of that type of interaction. I am trying, Master. Exactly. <laughs> that exactly. sounded like Obi Obi Wan saying it, though. That was more like a, <laughs> it did. It that did. was that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> I, I, I didn't it, like but... it coming out of my mouth either. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think it's uh, it's a great scene. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. For me, it's very strong character building. This is the first time we're seeing Anakin do anything. Right. We've heard of how powerful he's going to be. OK, we've seen the pod race. You know, this is kind of more of that it's like, where is he at now? And he's so much more powerful now. Ten years later, like you mentioned, Corey, he's leaping off of a car, free falling through the sky. Um, I love that Obi-Wan says, oh, not again. When he does that, like that's yeah. a regular occurrence, him just leaping off of high car, high points in the sky, falling to his death. Um I think it builds more of Obi-Wan's character about kind of how fun and playful he is. They do this thing where, and they start it right here, it's that he doesn't like flying. And they continue yeah. that on um, through through several movies. And I think it's really funny because Anakin's this great driver, this great pilot, and Obi-Wan hates it. It's not flying that he dislikes. It's crashing, I think he says. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so uh, w- one of the things in the movie that I'm trying to do whenever Anakin is delivering a bad line, I'm trying to ask myself, why is Anakin doing what he's doing more so than why is Anakin saying what he's saying? Because I think while the dialogue isn't that strong, what the underlying message is from him is very important. And I actually think they do a really good job in the movie of sharing how he's feeling and the difficulties he's going through. So you know, what you kind of have here is maybe he's got like a bit of teenage angst, right? Um, he's just out driving fast. He's being reckless. Um, he almost crashes into whatever he crashes into because he's having fun. He's like, let's see how far I can push this. I don't actually think he even meant to bump into it. He kind of hits it a little bit. I don't even think he meant to. I think it was just like, I'm just goofing around being a little bit wild. And he actually comes almost, you know, a bit, bit too close, but 
Uh, I mean, what what do you expect from like a 16-year-old a with essentially the power of a god, you know? And he's the most powerful Jedi, so of course he's going to be, you know, uh, obnoxious. I was obnoxious, and I wasn't, and I have no powers, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, And so I do get where Anakin is coming from, and I never have a problem with like the, 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 the dialogue, the words on the script themselves. It's just... You know, it's how the delivery goes sometimes, and I think this is this movie. He he's better in the next movie, I do think. Um, but I always blame that on the director. That's never yeah. the actor because it's the director's job to to direct the actors. And we all know, you know, the notorious GL was is way too wrapped up in all the other things that he's doing. And I think uh, Hayden Christensen probably just needed a better coach, you know, or something to help yeah. him out. But it never takes me out of the movie and I never, you know, I'm never like, it never diminishes my enjoyment. And now at this point, I've seen the movie so many times that I can't even imagine it any differently either. So, you know what I mean? So yeah. just for me, it's like, well, just leave it the way it is. Right. I think, yeah, for me, I think I, if I just had some sort of like line in there that said like, they didn't, they didn't, they like the Jedi's didn't want to start them that old. And maybe it's because he was already like, going just about to be a teenager you know he's just about to go into 11 12 13 where he's got all these emotions maybe that's why they couldn't start him that old just something like oh yeah well he's kind of all the emotions he can't control them because we started him too late if maybe we started him younger we would have had that under control just something like that would have been cool for me um because just going from this kid who just like loves life even though he's a slave just to this guy who comes back and is just so angry about absolutely everything just it didn't track for me at all there's no way in my mind that that is the same person <laughs> I didn't have a problem connecting him starting too late with the reasoning for it. I, I thought it was now maybe this didn't come from the Phantom Menace, but maybe it's from I don't know the Clone Wars or some other content. But I, I always understand that they don't start uh, someone along the path that old because they've already made real connections with the world. And in this case, Anakin made a real connection with his mother. And they like to start these kids off, like they take them from their parents before they even know their parents. So they have no attachments to the real world. So the, just the entire fact that Anakin, you know, loved and was taken away from his mother. I mean, he chose to leave, but the fact that he lost her is the catalyst to the downfall. So I, I, I think if you don't kind of see that connection, that's probably already an issue with you buying into everything that's happening. So for sure. Yeah. I like, honestly, when he says he's having nightmares about his, his mother, Obi-Wan should just say, yeah, like we, that's kind of the issue with taking you so old. Like there's nothing in those first two movies that say anything about that. Like, I don't know anything about the Jedi's except for what someone will just say like, oh, isn't this a rule? And I'll be like, I didn't know that was a rule. You just said it right now. Like that's the only thing I know about the Jedi's. Well, I think, so, I think Yoda I, I, subtly explains things in the Phantom Menace. Like he kind of alludes to things like, you know, you're like whatever fear I feel in you. Like um, you're, he says something about his mother, like, Oh, your mother, you miss your mother. Right. Oh, great fear. I fe I sense in you. So like in Yoda's roundabout way, he's kind of explaining the reasoning yeah. for not wanting to take him. Yeah, no, that makes sense. When, when I'm watching it, I think that that's just like specifically to that kid, you know, but that makes sense that it's just like overall, that's why they don't take kids that are that old because they already have right. attachments. 
Right. Uh, imagine Yoda's shock in Empire Strikes Back when, you know, a fully grown 40-year-old Mark Hamill comes walking exactly. through. Exactly. Like, yeah, train no me. Kidding, and now right? we know that, like, like they don't even want to train, like, like eight-year-olds because that's too old. Like, they want them right from, from the get-go, which is a problem that I have with the Jedi Order, you know, sure. and and not only not only the yeah. fact that they can't sense, you know, a, a great threat right in front of their faces, I don't necessarily believe or know that I believe uh, they're quite the good guys either. So, um, yeah. you know, maybe maybe they got what they deserved. I don't know. So yeah. one moment in the bar that I really like, it's when Anakin is just walking the bar and uses the Force to make that girl look at him and and like him. Oh, when he walked by her? He just walks by her, and it's subtle because his hand is kind of by his hip, but he just, like, motions forward, and then she notices him and starts to follow him like she's into him. So ah, I, I love nice. it. It's like that's kind of your young your young punk, right? He's, he's abusing his powers here. He's not supposed to be doing that. Um, that. That's basically like George Lucas saying, like, him, like, flipping up her skirt with his power or right, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, this whole kind of initial scene and sequence here, this really, like, sets the rest of the movie in motion because Obi-Wan, he goes off to unravel the mystery of who's behind um, killing Zam Wessel, who this in turn is all related to the the assassination attempt on Padme. And then Anakin ends up being sent off with Padme to another planet to protect her. So... One thing I wanted to um, to do, though, is when Corey mentioned uh, Zam Wessel's arm getting cut off, limbs being cut off in this franchise is a huge thing. So I wanted to have a <laughs> yeah. limb counter as we go through this franchise. And this right. is the first one. This is the first time a limb okay. is cut off. So this is one, everybody. Okay. One. Okay. <laughs> one. <Not> one. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Excellent. The, the top, the top half of uh, no, uh, Darth no, no, Maul doesn't limbs. count as a limb. Okay. No, I'm talking okay, just okay. specifically yeah. limbs. Yeah. 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 Okay. And in anything, right? So meaning like the Wampa's arm in Empire Strikes Back will count, right? Not just main characters, but like correct. Yeah. Anything. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to tracking that with you guys. <laughs> now, plot wise, so far in the movie, Palpatine is running everything, right? He wants Obi Wan to find this clone army so that it can be uh, put into use for him. He wants Anakin to fall in love with Padme, right, to further his connection to physical beings and, and, you know, the world rather than the Jedi. And he wants Padme off-world so she can't vote against creating an army for the Republic. So he's sent three of his, like, chess pieces in motion here all off to do his bidding for him so that his plan can come to fruition. For sure. Um, something I noticed this time around in this, uh, the scene that happens right now with Anakin and Padme as they're kind of, they, they get a bit of, um, time together for the first time. It's been a while since they've seen each other and they're about to go away together. They know that that's going to happen. And Anakin's talking all kind of like grown up and Padme says that, um, you're so grown up, Annie. He looks at her in this very specific way and she asks him not to look at her that way because it makes her feel uncomfortable now this time around what i really think is happening here is i i really do think he was trying to mind control her in that moment same as he just did to the girl in the bar but it doesn't work 
Now, my evidence here that I put forth is, again, we just saw him do it, so why wouldn't he try it again? There was this subtle shift in sound effect at that moment as well. Sometimes they use like force sound effects, like a low rumbling of sorts. There was a bit of a sound like that. When she asks him, like she says, don't do that. I'm uncomfortable. She walks away. He gives her the weirdest sinister glare as she walks off. You just wonder like what's going on in his mind. And then later in the movie, she actually asks him if he's going to mind control her. But he says that only works on the weak minded. Maybe because he knows she's not weak minded because he already tried it here. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I like that that uh, that happening in this scene. I, I would be on board with that. This is this is sort of the this is the thing I don't like. This is the thing I don't like about this movie is this relationship. I don't think in any way that she is into him. And what I hate in movies is the guy that doesn't stop when the girl tells him I'm not into you, but he just feels like but I love you, so I deserve you. I hate that. I hate that movie so much, and that's just what I feel in this one. So I, I like I like the fact that she isn't into it. I like the fact that he's trying, you know, maybe he's trying to push and force her here and it's not working. That just, like, for me, when we get to the end, I, I don't like it. You know, I don't like that it ever comes around where she's like, yeah, I do love you. It's like, why? I don't get it. I just don't get that part. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, man. It's a it's a hard pill to swallow her being into him. Um, and I, I think it's it's their chemistry or their complete lack of right. chemistry is is the biggest hindrance because it's I don't think it's, the script's not trying to, to push that forward. But you got these two people who clearly I assume cannot stand each other because it just oozes that way on screen. And Tim, you know, I like what you're saying. I never picked up on that when I watched the movie inevitably again uh, because I love it. I, I'm going to look into that and it creates a sinister layer to things, but also a human layer to things because I think, I mean, again, Anakin's just a human. He's, he's a teenager, so he's dealing with emotions. And again, I, I always push back like, man, like I would have done some horrible crap if I had godlike powers when I was 16. You know what I mean? And yeah. even, even if you guys all consider me like a good guy, I would have done some bad shit, you know? And it's just because I was a stupid kid. And I think that him maybe testing the waters on her without her knowing it is, is a plausible theory. And yeah. honestly makes things a little bit more, I guess, believable, you know, for me to able to, to digest it. Uh, Dean, to your extent, like, I'm with you on, especially after the Tuscan Raider incident. I'm like, how can you stand there and be into him after he tells you that he kills everybody? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and that didn't even phase her? Like, that's that's a little bit crazy. But maybe he clouded her mind, I, you know, with, with the, his Jedi abilities. Maybe he doesn't even know he's doing it, you know? Maybe it's just an involuntary thing, you know? I, I don't know, but yeah. maybe there is something there that will actually make this bad chemistry a bit more explained and her, you know, 180, you know, basically turn around being like, ah, but I do love you. It's like, really? Yeah. When, when did that happen though? Yeah. Honestly, that would be great. That would be great if that happened in the movie. Like if, if at some point we knew that he did break through somehow, you know, and then that's why it's happening. I would love it. I would love that then. Uh, But it's not there for me. It's not in the movie at all. I've looked for it. I've tried to find that um, something, you know, something to make it work. And I, I just haven't seen it at all in the movie. So it just, that part just doesn't quite work for me yet. 
uh, yeah, Dean, I was, I was going to say, so if that's your problem with the movie, then I definitely yeah. won't be able to help you out with that because I don't okay. have any answers <laughs> okay. for you in that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, other than like what I mentioned, maybe he is yeah. doing something with the force. Now yeah. we, we watched him as a young boy win this pod race, do something he should never have been able to do. And he hasn't been trained in the force. He's just using it. It's just his instinct. So it would make a lot of sense that something like that would just be coming out of him, not even in his control. It's just in his nature. So maybe maybe there's something to that. I think it's kind of interesting to talk about. So Totally. I, it's I, actually, I, it just brings up sort of the, some of the main problems I have is just that it's all right there. You know, like everything's yeah, right I hear there you, for George Lucas you. to do. And he just, yeah. I didn't see it on screen, but it is there. Like it, it, it's right there for him. Yeah, I hear you. So at this point in the movie... Um, the movie kind of goes into this this thing where we jump back and forth over and over again between Obi-Wan's investigation and Anakin and Padme falling in love. And instead of us just jumping back and forth from scene to scene, I'd like to just talk about these as arcs instead so we can just touch on two Perfect. things here. So let's start off with Obi-Wan. For both of these arcs, let's just go all the way from here up until they... Are, the three of them are together on Geonosis, and we can we can pick back up there again. But Obi-Wan, he basically turns into a detective here and needs to unravel this mystery. And all he has is this toxic dart. So, Corey, what did you think about uh, these scenes with Obi-Wan? What did you think of his detective work and just everything that kind of goes on along the way? I I liked, I loved Dex. Uh, it's a Camille. I don't only say, uh, the cloners. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love Dex. I love that little diner that he goes to. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, and then of course, you know, that leads him to finding out about Camino because Dex sees the, the carvings on there or something. Um, he's like, oh, they're cloners. They're in the outer rim. Then he has to go into the library to try to find it. And then, you know, it's not in the system. So we already know something is, is you know, rotten in Denmark. And then freaking librarian Jocasta knew being like, oh, if it's not in the system, it doesn't exist. And <laughs> fuck her. And this time, this is <laughs> Dean's yeah, favorite. Right? Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> her. And, uh, and this was the time that I was like, ah, but it's that she's the perfect representation of of the hubris totally. of, you know, the Jedi. Yeah. Um, so, of course, he finds out, you know, it's Kamino. And he goes to Camino. I love Camino, oh, by the fuck way. Man, I love it. Um, I love it. I love the way it looks. I love the uh, Kaminoans. There we go. I love the Kaminoans, uh, Tan Nui, and all that kind of stuff. I think they're awesome. I still don't understand the uh, Sifo-Dyas thing. Uh, it was ex- they tried to explain it in the Clone Wars. I think I, I poor Filoni always having to try to pick up Lucas's you know pieces <laughs> and make them make sense, but. I still don't get the Sifo-Dyas thing, but you know what? Can I just After stop you there own... for a sec, Don? Yes, I, please. I can fill in some holes because I have done a bit of investigation with this because it's so fascinating. I always I always loved in this movie how they mentioned this guy only once and then never again. But from my understanding, Sifo-Dyas was on the Jedi Council and he was not really in line with what the Council was thinking. So he was kind of didn't agree with their beliefs or what they wanted to do he earlier on thought that they did need this army he went out on his own and placed the order for the army without the approval of the council 
but how do you do that? How do you order an army? Like, like, how do you, what deposit do you put down on that? That's what I have a hard time. Like that all of a sudden they, they just create an army based on you asking for it. Well, he, he, he must asked be loaded. for it. He, he, he didn't, he, he asked for it. He placed the order and then he ended up getting killed. Dooku and Palpatine picked up on his plan and they were the ones who came in and funded it. So that's why the that's why they say the order was placed by Sifo-Dyas. It was funded by ultimately by Sidious. And wouldn't it have just been easier to say that Sidious was just acting like Sifo-Dyas, meaning like I'm Sifo-Dyas, that's my name, so don't wear it out. You know, it's like that's so complicated. That's what I always just assumed. Make, yeah, I, I did too. I always assumed yeah. it was like Dooku or something, just using someone just used this, the name, yeah, a dead Jedi's name. Um, but okay, I mean. That's none of that's in, you know, in, in, in the movie, you know, and, and only thing I was going to say about the Sifo-Dyas thing, I've racked my brain about it for so long at, at this point, I don't care anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I've moved past it. Um, but it was something that's always sort of like bugged me. Um, but it's the reason I can move past it is because where we eventually land on Camino is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars, and that is the Jango Fett Obi Wan fight in the rain. That's why you wanted to come uh, on I, this episode, Corey, to talk is, about that's this. Why, I mean, guys and gals, we're gonna spend the next hour just talking <laughs> about this scene. Here's <laughs> your moment, but man. like, I love, I love that it's in the rain. I always love rain in movies, so I love that this scene was in the rain. I think Django, I think Django Fett looks amazing. Uh, I, I, I want it. I want my dog, my our first dog. I want him's name to be Boba Fett, just so I can say Boba, get on board, you know. And I love how quickly he just goes into action against uh, Obi Wan. And of course, it's just we get to see. All the things that we wanted to see from Boba Fett, yes. Um, but like, and, and I think it pays. I think it's really well done. I think it's paid off well. I think it's a fun fight. I always enjoy it. Um, but it's 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 the fact that they made it happen in the rain, man. It's like that's just the icing on the cake. It's a beautiful scene. It really, really is. Yep, Dean. What what do you want to touch on? What did Corey um, miss? Uh, Corey didn't miss anything. Um, it's that that scene's great. That scene's awesome. Django Fett looks awesome. I love it. Uh, I think the mystery solving is very fun. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of fun stuff happening there. Um, when I try to dig in, I don't really get it at all. I, I just think like when I actually try to follow, I can't. Like I don't know why it's missing from the archives if they need him to find the planet. You know, like that's what I don't quite connect. It was probably that Sifo-Dyas guy. He probably erased it from the archives because he was going against the council. Right. Yeah. So what I didn't know is that Sifo Diaz really put the order in. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. I, I just I assume it's Dooku um, because later when he talks to Jango Fett, when Obi-Wan talks to Jango Fett, he says like, oh, do you know Sifo Diaz? And he says, nope, I know Dooku or, or no. Sorry. He says, no, I, I know Darth Tyrannus or, or whatever. So that just made me think, oh, OK, Sifo Diaz is just uh uh, a name that someone used. Um, so I get I get confused by that. But um, yeah, I, I also don't really know why they clone like Django Fett. I, like it doesn't matter. But well, it's so real quick in the Django Fett uh, Bounty Hunter video game that came out for the PS2 and the GameCube. That is that whole story 
is the the crucible you know what what happens in order for him to become the uh the the clone you know or you know the clone template yeah uh because you see it dooku holds this like thing this bounty thing and whoever wins you know is going to be the person he basically so yeah you get that entire story as to how he gets chosen and everything is in that video game okay that's interesting because i was i was always thinking like if a jedi placed the order why didn't a jedi use themselves to be cloned like if if Jedi, like if there's midichlorians and that's in your blood, why wouldn't you clone a Jedi to have all that? Well, I'm going to push back. Yeah. There's a big thing in Star Wars universes. You can't clone the midichlorians. Oh, so okay. like Palpatine can clone like his body, but it's not going to, it's just going to be a vessel. It's not going to have the midichlorians in okay. it and all that kind of stuff. And I think, I think just this entire conversation is the whole point of the Mandalorian uh, TV show about how Grogu, they needed his blood because I think that's going to lead into uh, Rise of Skywalker, yada, yada. Right, right, but I think right. to your point, to your point, I think in 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 some of the tertiary canon, they establish that you can't uh, like clone a Jedi and then have the the midi chlorians be there as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. See, I'm glad we're having the these force. talks. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're having these talks. But it's in the blood, yeah. so I thought like, why can't you clone it if it's in the blood? Anyways, so now I know, and it's fun. Yeah, the mystery solving's fun. It's fun stuff. I like that he actually gets the clue solved by like a kindergarten class. I really yes, enjoyed that. That was part. cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, really be- be- that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That showing that kindergarten class was great too because it's a setup for later as well, which was nice. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's just like it's a group yeah. thing, you know. It's like all the Jedi's are still working together, you know. It's like yeah, I liked yeah. it. I love like how clean and white Camino uh, is, um, and just like these buildings in the middle of the ocean. Like, what would even be on that planet? And Man, I always just whenever I see that, whenever I get like whenever I enter into that city, I always get this weird feeling because it's just it seems so different than everything else in Star Wars. It's like this. It's just unlike anything else. And and you think and it's interesting that the clone, you, you know, the clones armor being like all white. I think it's more of a Camino thing than it is like a hmm. Coruscant thing, you know? So it's just sure. interesting that their design aesthetic it kind of stuck around. Um, but I also like how the Kaminoans, Cam- um, I like how this is like George Lucas's version of tall gray aliens, you know, yeah. like from Close Encounters of the Third Kind or yeah. something. But they look so very Star Wars. They look yeah. so different, you know, but yet so similar. Yeah, I love... Everything about the Obi-Wan stuff in this movie, I could just watch over and over again. Like like you, Tim, I I, I don't usually skip it, but I kind of don't always pay as much attention to the Anakin Padme stuff during this time until we get into the third act, you know? Yeah. Camino, it's just, it was so sterile, which made a lot of sense because it had like this hospital feel because they're, they're growing people, right? Yeah. I can imagine they need everything to be just pristine. You can't have like germs and stuff like that getting into your cocktail, your clone cocktail, right? So everything is just real clean and neat. Um, I remember just that, you know, the Obi-Wan and Django fight. It looks super cool. I remember being upset when I was younger. I was like, why can't Obi-Wan beat this guy? It kind of threw me off a bit. And I just never paid Django the respect that he deserved. And I do now. And it's a lot of fun to watch, you know, basically, you know, Boba in a way fighting a Jedi because that's what we wanted to see because we knew that from the original trilogy. You want to see what Boba can do. Sure, he has like a little encounter with Luke, but that was nothing. I want to see, you know, 
what he's like fighting a Jedi, and we get that with Jango. And the only thing, the only thing I don't like about that fight is that this movie solidified uh, Slave One's cockpit not rotating. Mm. So um, all the toys and everything about Slave One, the cockpit like rotates as it moves. So like right. when you walk into it, you would just sit in it. Right and. You know, even the original model didn't have it rotating. So, honestly, George Lucas basically stuck to his movie, Empire Strikes Back. He didn't look at anything else, you know, and he's like, oh, it's like, what? It doesn't move. It just sits there. You got to look up, you know? And it's just like, and I'm like, uh, but why? Yeah. That, means, that seems so impractical that you have to just, like, lay down for the cockpit. And then I'm like, but in all the EU canon, the thing rotates. That It's like, what a simple why? Yeah. Why did you have to do that? And I hate it. Not going to lie, I freaking hate it. Another thing I liked about that scene was that Boba fires missiles and hits Obi-Wan. He's actually yeah. contributing to the fight. He can't yeah. even mm-hmm. see be- because his chair won't swivel. He can't even see what he's shooting at. He like shoots the <laughs> missile. Then he, he was, he's kind of peeking over the glass to see if yeah, anything, right, if he got right. anything. It's really, it's fun. It's good. <laughs> it's good yeah. Get him, dad. Get him. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's super yeah. fun. Um, so, yeah, they uh, Django and Boba get away, but Obi-Wan follows. I love I love that when he throws that uh that that freaking uh that tracker thing. I was like, yeah, he just t- chucks it right on there. It's like, a I sick throw. Thing. Yeah, it looks like yeah. he has a really good arm. Like I watched yeah. it and I was like, that's a good. That's like he just threw a strike from left field. Like that's a good throw. <laughs> yeah, dude, his his form is great. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And Tim, what you're saying, I love the chase uh, to Geonosis between um, you know Obi-Wan and, and Jango Fett and Slave One yes. and all the things that you see Slave One can do uh, yeah. from inside the cockpit and everything is amazing. Um, I like, you know, he doesn't have his helmet on. And he's got those cool, you know, headphone thingies on that it looks right. so retro, uh, you know, Jango Fett does. And I even love Obi-Wan's Jedi fighter. I think it's amazing looking. I think yeah. it's so cool. But man, oh man, that seismic charge, Ugh, that best. first time I ever oh. saw it, I mean, I almost wet myself. Me I was too, like, man. this is amazing. Yeah, I thought something Agreed. was going wrong, like with the audio. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, it was such a weird thing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're just like, Poof. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's a cool part of that scene where Obi-Wan basically, he does this trick of landing and hiding on like the backside or underside of an asteroid. And then Django and Boba fly off to Geonosis. In um, Empire, Boba uses that trick to catch up with the Millennium Falcon. He's got himself. He did the exact same thing. So I love that he. I love the thinking that Boba (laughs) Boba probably wondered how Obi Wan survived and was able to track them to Geonosis, and then figured out that's probably what he did. And he puts that in his book of tricks and and pulls it out later. I thought that was really cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. He doesn't give up, this guy. <laughs> that, that's some dialogue that I don't like, by the way. <laughs> that's fine. It's fine. All right, so let's move on to Anakin and Padme's story here. Do, do, do we have to? Fast I want to. Next scene. No, I, I want to. Fast forward, fast forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anybody yeah, no, listening, I want to talk feel about free it. to fast forward. No, I, I want to say some stuff yeah. here. Uh, as yeah. corny as um, some of these lines are, um, it's... Like, Anakin and Padme's time bonding here is obviously completely necessary for this movie. So while, Dean, you're not buying into the fact that she falls in love with him, um, I I think one of the reasons why you don't buy into it 
is because she's not sharing any of that because she doesn't want to fall in love. She wants to remain senator. She, her people are her most important thing. She's trying hard not to have feelings for him. He's the one who's like visually pushing it for us. He's pushing the, the narrative. She's trying her best to hide her feelings. So she's not sharing any of that information. But it's like, while the acting and the dialogue is kind of hard to watch, the important info to pick up in these scenes is their conversations and how Anakin is justifying his feelings for Padme, even though it's forbidden by the Jedi. Um, also, his dislike for the political system. Because he says if it were up to him, he says he'd place a wise figure at the top, and that person would dictate the right thing to do to the people. Right? Well, that sounds a lot like Palpatine's plan. So yeah. <laughs> there's all these moments of basically Anakin sh sharing. It's like sharing time. He finally has somebody to tell things to who's going to listen to him. And like Padme's basically his outlet. So all of these things that he's saying, it's... I find it really important when like you want to consider his fall in the next movie and how quickly he falls. People always say, I even said it. I'm like, I don't like that third movie because he, it's almost like he flips a switch and now he's the bad guy. Well, here's where Lucas is laying the foundation for all that. If you're paying attention, basically every one of these scenes, Anakin is sharing another kind of negative thought that he's having, like a negative thing that's happening in his life or a negative thought these are all like real bad things for him to be dealing with because a Jedi is not supposed to deal with this and he can't talk to the Jedi about it. If he starts sharing this with the Jedi, there's going to be a major problem. So he's got no one to talk to. So he talks to Padme. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I used to dismiss these scenes, but I just feel like the dialogue really evolves Anakin's characters and the dark thoughts he's having all the time. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> I, I think these scenes would be really good if Anakin starts the movie charming. He needs to be charming because I need to know why she would be into him. And I just don't like from the get go. He's just been horrible to her and weird. So I, I know that it's in the movie that she wants to be senator. And that's why she doesn't like she doesn't want she wants him to be Jedi, her to be the senator and that their relationship will be a problem to that. I just don't know why she would ever be into him. So if he starts charming and he's still charming here, but he's sharing these these different thoughts that he has. And then he makes a switch later in the movie where he does something acting on his his anger. And then the switch starts happening. And then he starts getting really, really horrible. But she's already like into it. She's already, you know, connected with him. Then I would love it. I, I would just I would just be so much more into it. It's it's just this feeling I get from him that he's just been horrible to her the whole time and just like feels like he's owed this from her that I, I just can't. Yeah. I, I, I don't like it. But what I do like in this part is when they're kissing and the music just like does like a record scratch, basically. It's just like <laughs> it stops when Padme stops the kiss. It's like the music yeah, just was... kind of stops as it's swelling. I think that's so funny. I think John Williams like just putting that in there is a hilarious moment. I laugh out loud every time. Um, yeah, so it's it, it's good for that. <laughs> it's good for that moment. <laughs> but I, I, I'm with you, Tim. I, I like the I like these parts. I just need them to be charming up to this point. I'm, I, it's weird. I, I literally agree with both of you. Uh, I think all of this is layered. I think, um, 
I don't think the problem is in the script. I think the problem is in the delivery. And I think the problem is with the chemistry between the two leads. And I think the problem is with the director not doing a great job like directing live action people. But I do agree with you, Tim. I think that that this is all connected to Revenge of the Sith and everything. And you have to, you can't just look at Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. You have to look at his complete entire trajectory throughout these, these three films. And I think you're right in that he's already layering this malcontent thoughts in, into Anakin right here. And they're not huge. Well, I mean, they are huge because Anakin will kill an entire tribe of, uh, of Tusken Raiders. And, uh, you know, like, can we talk about that or are we, are we We're right there? there. Go ahead. We're right there. Okay. So my, my big, one of my biggest problems every time I watch it, cause I can excuse a lot. I can get past the bad dialogue or, or the bad delivery, uh, the bad chemistry. I have a hard time with Padme hearing come out of his mouth. I kill them all. Now, if you cut it right there, I can still buy her being okay, but he says I killed the women and children too. And I'm looking at him. This is the, one of the first times I'm watching. I'm being really critical when I'm listening to it. I'm like, I paused it. I was like thinking, I was like, okay, maybe she's just in denial. Maybe she's just thinking he's a 16 year old kid spouting some BS and being like, oh, I killed them all. Maybe she doesn't quite believe him. I don't know. Um, that might be a possibility. Our conversation earlier, Tim, what you're saying, maybe he somehow clouded her mind. Yes, he said those things. Yes, she heard it. But he somehow like kind of just allowed her to move past it. I, I don't know. But man, that's a that's a tough pill to swallow as a viewer to buy. And we all get. And here's the thing. We all get why he killed them all. We We get it because we saw it. But Padme wasn't there. And she's just kind of taking his word that like they deserve to die even the women and children and that i think is a bigger damnable act than than him turning at the end and it in this movie just kind of goes past it it just kind of is like nope we're just gonna slide right past it the with padme i'm just like okay i guess and yeah it's most like george lucas like yeah but look at her look at her stomach isn't she hot and i'm like yeah, but I mean, like, we're, let's focus on the story here. Just stop putting her in such hot costumes. You're distracting me, George Lucas. But like, damn, like, I don't know. I don't know what she sees in Anakin that she would allow for that, you yeah. know? I mean, this should have been a major red flag for her. She doesn't yeah. even address the murders. Like, no. When he tells no, her. She's like, she's she like, says, sure. She says, sure, you don't like sand. It's okay. No, she <laughs> says to be angry is to be human. What the fuck? What yeah, about all what the, the murder your boyfriend just did and confessed yeah. to? What about that? Um, so I don't I like there's definitely something weird going on with their relationship. It's not your traditional relationship of like he has feelings, she has feelings, they're sharing them. Like I really think if she has been directed, you know, by Lucas as look, you are falling in love with him, but you're not allowed to show any of that. Like if that was what her direction was, would that help you guys at all? Like if he said, look, you're, you're slowly falling in love with him. Everything that he's doing, you're falling in love with for whatever reason, but you can't play it that way. You got to play it straight. No, the, the only thing that helps me is you, your theory that, that Anakin is doing something with the force. And you know what? I'll take a step further. Maybe he doesn't even know, you know what I mean? Like maybe he, he's so powerful that he can control other people's wills with his like subconscious, meaning like. 
I'm not actively trying to do it, but I do want you to be on my side. So the, my subconscious is going to do that. Right. Tim, your, your theory is the only thing that makes any of it any better than what we already seen. Yeah. She's she's telling him like, no, 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 no. The whole movie. Then he shares that he killed a bunch of women and children. <laughs> and then and she's in then love with them. she says, yes, after that. Like, that's the trajectory of how she's reacting to things he says. And that's just, it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work for me. Even if Lucas is like, you can't show it. You just can't show it. Uh, I still, I still wouldn't like it because of how it's written. Yeah, so it, it's funny because it reminds me of one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld where Jerry Seinfeld, he kind of, he cries for the first time. Well, not the first time, but he cries and then he becomes like, he lets go of his emotions. He becomes kind of an emotional guy. And then at some point, George Costanza is like, okay, I can confide in you because, you know, you're 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 emotionally open now. And there's this great little cut where it goes from like George being like, I can confide in you to then, you know, now it's close up of George and he's like, and that's it. That's you know, all of my deepest, darkest things, you know, and then the camera just moves over to Jerry and he is just mortified. He's just like, (laughs) just frozen in terror. And he's like, I think you scared the emotions out of me. And that's what I have always expected. You know, like a close-up shot of Anakin saying like, I killed them all. The women, the children, they're monsters. I killed them like animals. And the camera should cut over to Padme (laughs) and she should just be mortified. She should just be slack-jawed and just horrified by his actions Definitely. but no she's like oh annie oh annie yeah, yeah. you're just yeah. angry that's okay yeah. that's, that's yeah, no, just I, human. I agree i agree with that it was a terrible moment it that yeah. actually doesn't make any sense yeah that's and that's one of the and for me to kind of coincide with dean's uh thoughts that's the part that i really have the hardest time swallowing yeah for sure like uh, yeah I, I think this was this is the most important um, moment in the movie, though, for his character, for his downfall. The, I, for me, this is what solidifies the fact that he has gone to the dark side is when he does something like this, because it's like it's what, you know, Yoda was worried about. It's like we can't take you on as a Jedi because your connection with your mother is too strong. And this is the type of thing that could happen. Uh, he kills all these women and children and um, and men. Right. So he, this is it. This is. This is where you should know that there is no coming back for him because there's been small steps along the way of him kind of declining. But this is where he just outright murders a bunch of people out of feelings he has for someone. So, um, yeah, but I, I really I enjoyed that Anakin went back to Tatooine in this movie. I like that we got to see. Uh, Watto again like that was kind of a um, a fun scene. I I liked learning that his mo- his mother was freed as a slave and got married. Yeah. I thought th- those were all like really nice moments in the movie. Uh, and spent, like you got, got to see like those two sand, like like the Jawa, like sort of, um, I, I don't know, vehicles? like meeting. Yeah, well, there's multiple. We've yeah. never seen that before. There's like, yeah. so it's almost like a Jawa meeting area right. or something. Oh, you know, so that cool. was cool. And and by the way, another line that I love is "Chut, chut, Watto." I love how much <laughs> like just attitude he has when he yeah. says it. You know, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I love that we go back to Tatooine. I love that we see Watto, but just not a lot of them. You know, like we don't need him anymore. We had him in right. the first movie, but it's nice to see him, and it's nice to know that Shmi had some happiness yeah. in her life before. You know, I mean, guys, like 
we we can assume bad things happen to her. Oh yeah, and by the Tuscan Raiders, yeah. it's it's yeah. bad. So that was a tough scene. It's yeah. nice that she had some happy moments before before the end. You know, it's really tough. Yeah. Um, and Tim- of course, uh, Owen Lars and uh, and Aunt Beru are, are great. You know, like and they got perfect cast for young them. Sorry, Dean. Uh, I was just going to say, Tim, uh, we like hats on the podcast, so it was nice to see that Watto joined the hat club for this movie. <laughs> he had flies he buzzing around He flipped the bowl him, upside though. down and put it on his head, and he joined the hat club. <laughs> what was did, with all the yeah. flies? And he did have flies. Yeah, he He's yes, really so. fallen from uh, where he once was. Oh, yeah. Like, smells like, I guess he smells like garbage now. Too many, yeah. too many chance cube rolls, I think. Yeah. And and I really like uh, C-3PO. I like his look in this movie. I like the non- shiny gold i think he looks right, yeah. really cool with that that matte gray or whatever you know yeah yeah there was a really cool shot here on tatooine that i really really loved don't even know if i noticed it before um noticed it this time it's just before he goes out to kill the tuscan raiders he's talking to padme um his shadows being cast on the the domed house and his little man bun and everything the shadow looks exactly like darth vader and they show you the sure. shadow of him hugging Padme before he goes off. And it looked 100% like Darth Vader hugging Padme. Then he goes off and becomes Darth Vader. I thought it was an incredibly nice touch. Um, look for it next time if you watch the movie. It's beautiful. And I know they did that with a poster from The Phantom Menace. They had like young Anakin walking with uh, the still lar- poster. beautiful poster. Large shadow of Darth Vader. They did it in the movie here, full size. It was beautiful, gorgeous. Do, do you think? Do you think they used CGI to make that happen in in this? Oh, probably. I mean, since they basically use CGI for everything, but it made sense because just kind of the way his hair was and the little bun. Actually, what what you could tell was they used his direct shadow. And then they made it look like he moved a little bit and they kind of fixed it to make it look like Darth Vader. But they made it look like as he just turned a little bit, that was the new perspective. It's very subtle. It looks real. Like it looks like a real shadow. They did a good job with it. I'm a big fan of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Just to add to that, Tim, I liked that they played Duel of Fates as he's riding out, as he's riding out to find the Tusken Raiders. I didn't pick up on that, man. That's awesome. Cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So... By following Django and Boba, Obi-Wan has come to Geonosis, where he finds a droid army being created, he finds the Separatist leaders, and he finds Count Dooku. And we learn some really cool things here from Dooku. Uh, We learn that Dooku was Qui-Gon Jinn's master. We also learn from Dooku that a Sith Lord is running the Senate. I thought that was really interesting to hear, really cool. You know, at this point in the movie, you don't know what this guy's all about, actually. You don't know if he's good yeah. or bad, so that was a nice touch. One other thing we learn about here in the movie franchise for the first time is the whole Sith Lord and Apprentice lore. And it's that the Apprentice is always searching for a more powerful Apprentice for themselves so that they can overthrow the current Sith Lord. And it's like, that's just the way things are done. And if you are a Sith Lord, just expect that your apprentice is always on the hunt for someone more powerful to overthrow you. I I take it almost like the way that the samurai want to have an honorable death. 
like an honorable death for a Sith Lord is to have their apprentice become so powerful that they overthrow them so that the legacy of the Sith can continue. Like if I'm not the most powerful one, you should be. So you can continue on in the way. And this is the first we kind of hear about it. And it, it, it continues on, you know, throughout the franchise, throughout the Clone Wars. I really love that. Yeah, I think up, that up until we find out that the whole point behind it is so that Palpatine can suck the the <laughs> essence into you uh, as as per Rise of Skywalker and and I mean guys and gals as much as you don't like it out there if you're yelling at the, the you know in your car that yeah I hate that movie it's still canon so we have to still consider the things that they say in that movie um, but I do I do love that Sith rule I think it's really cool because it also keeps you if you're the top dog you got to stay on top you got to yeah. always be ready to fight back it just it breeds strength it's almost like yeah. this Spartan sort of mentality you know and if you're weak you're done it's over for you so yeah i i think that's really cool too and i do like do i like dooku honestly i think dooku's a cool ass character i love dooku and and you every i assume by now everyone knows that you could see his bust um in uh the library the jedi yeah. library you could see uh dooku's bust in there oh i, I didn't like all notice that kind that. of stuff that, i didn't notice yeah. that oh, yeah, i'll look yeah, for yeah. it next time that's it's cool right, yeah. It's a screen screen left. It's uh, like the first bust that's oh, screen left. Oh, then I probably saw it and um, just didn't realize it was Dooku. That's cool though. It's yeah, it's it's totally uh, Christopher Lee. Nice. Um, but yeah, but which makes sense because he was a Jedi that I think they thought they lost or, or whatever. He, but yeah, he was um, a Jedi. Yeah, he retired. Yeah. yeah, he's a retired Jedi. But yeah, it's it's cool. I like this stuff. He traded teams. Yeah, I'm done, guys. <laughs> yeah, I I really like this scene. I think this scene is uh, pretty tough for somebody to have to walk in and deliver these lines and Christopher Lee just kills it. Like, yeah, the best in the movie. Like, it's just, he comes in and I'm so into it. I'm so into this scene where it could be, it could fall so flat. It could be one of those scenes that I just like check out. Don't even understand what anyone was talking about. Cause he's like telling the truth and kind of lying, but he's not lying. He's just like, he's totally just telling everything that's going on to Obi-Wan because he does, like you said, Tim, he wants him to join him. Like, he actually wants, he wants to overthrow to Sidious join him. if he can. He's actually sad that Qui-Gon Jinn isn't alive anymore because he thinks Qui-Gon Jinn would be a good person to join him. Yes. Like, he 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 gives this scene, uh, yeah, so much gravitas, you know, he brings to the table. Like, this could be impossible to do. And he just walks in and fucking nails it. Yeah. Now, now can I talk about the scene that I don't like on Geonosis? Yes. Is it when Django gets killed? <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, the factory scene, the, yeah. the yeah. Padme sure. Anakin factory scene. Um, if you watch on the extras, on the Attack of the Clones extras, George Lucas specifically says that, you know, he liked that shot when Obi-Wan looked down and saw the factory, and it was a shot that was done, obviously, after. And he's like, oh, I like it. Let's go there. Let's do that, you know? And so he tacked on this entire scene here when I think Anakin and Padme were originally supposed to be captured more like more quickly, you know? And I assume he was going to lose his, his lightsaber in that capture as well, so they just extended this further. But the weird thing is, by doing so, he had to force a canonical change to R2-D2. That's and hilarious. this is when we are introduced to R2-D2's thrusters. And sure, it's not like, why is this a big deal or not? It's just like, and I hate it so much. I hate his thrusters so much because we never saw them before. In fact, 
You don't see him use them in any other scene in Attack of the Clones. In fact, early on in the movie, when Padme and Anakin are going to like the shipyard to go, you know, leave on their little journey, you see R2-D2 have to waddle downstairs, like hop waddle down these little stairs. You don't see him use the thrusters after this either uh, in the Battle of Geonosis because it was all an afterthought in this scene right here. And in fact, Revenge of the Sith is the only movie in the entire George Lucas canon that in script form, he knew that R2-D2 had, had thrusters, you know what I mean? And actually could incorporate them into the story. But then it's just like, then you go back and look at everything else and you're like, why does he need to have a, a an elevator, bring him, put him up into the Naboo fighter? Why does he have to have a crane, put him into the X-Wing later? And yes, they added this whole canon like, oh, they broke and I'm, no. They shouldn't have been in there in the first place. That was ridiculous. And then, if anything, I would have rather them just been in the factory scene and then not in Revenge of the Sith because, again, like, Revenge of the Sith just solidified it. You know what I mean? And then I'm just like, so where were the the, the little thrusters in in, uh, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in any of them? Because that would have been... If R2-D2 could fly around in those movies, that would have been so much more helpful. But he couldn't. Because this was an afterthought. But one thing, it's I'm, I can kind of keep rolling with these things, but I will also say, as much as I hate it, that is one thing that I love about the Notorious GL. He is not precious about Star Wars. He's not. He's. I think he's upset when he sold it, but he's not precious when he's making it. And he's like, but it is. This is it. This is what I needed for, for this to happen, for this scene to work. This is what I need. I'm not going to worry about the canon. He he doesn't give a crap about canon. And I, I respect that that non-precious mentality about your art. And I think that's a lot of artists are not like that, you know? And I think that's interesting. But all that being said, I hate that factory scene. I really do. I'm with Lucas. I don't give a crap about canon either. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Just tell, like, make it fun, right? Like, that's the idea. Yeah, who cares? Let there be all sorts of ideas, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, I, I respect that about Lucas a lot, that he would change stuff. I did, when that happened in this movie, just think, like, why didn't he use this earlier in the movie? Like, it is a thought in my mind at this okay. point. Just like, hold, hold on one second, though. These? Hold on one second, though. Yeah. W- w- what about Master Yoda? How many times do you see Master Yoda being powerful? Maybe R2 is just like, hey, I don't need to use them because I don't need he's to use them. I'll use them when I really need to use them. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe he's got a Master Yoda complex where he just limps around, so, but then when push comes to shove, he pulls his thrusters out. No, but no, I'm just kidding. Honest, Corey, I totally understand Tim, what you're saying. You're right. It's right there. All you need is C-3PO to say some line about it because then it just shows that R2's an, a stinker because he is, you know? C-3PO just needs to be like, you have thrusters? Why have we been lifting you up all this time? Boom, done. We're, we're done. It's just right there. Very true, yeah. very true. Um, I, Corey, I agree with you. I don't like that factory scene. Basically, nothing happens. It's just kind of like a waste of time. But to be honest with you, I don't even understand what's happening as I'm watching it. With Anakin and his arm getting trapped, I have no idea what's going on. No idea how he gets out. The one thing I do like about the factory scene is what happens with C-3PO. Because I thought it was very, very funny. It added some humor to the movie. Now, on I'm saddened to hear that you are not a fan of C-3PO, which makes me think maybe you didn't enjoy this comedic. Um, <laughs> as much as up. I do dislike C- C-3PO, I actually do enjoy. And it's funny because you're like, well, this is a very silly C-3PO thing. But I'm like, with C-3PO, 
I'd rather you commit to him being silly. He should be the silly character. That's what I want from him. So, Tim, to your point, I actually really love the whole, like, die, Jedi dogs. Oh, what am I saying? I, I was like, oh, that, that's funny. This is, to me, honestly, the best use of C-3PO. Yeah, I, I loved I loved it in this movie. I thought it came at a perfect time. Uh, so that's what I did like about the factory scene. But, hey, you you want to cut, like, whatever, 15 minutes out of this movie for that? That's perfect. This is a really long run time for a long, Star Wars movie. Long movie. So go ahead, cut yeah. it out. I, I'd be cool with that. Um, because we still have like 30 minutes oh, yeah. when like the Battle of Geonosis like starts, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. So Obi-Wan's on Geonosis. He contacts Anakin, who in turn passes the message on to the Jedi Council, letting them know about what's happening on Geonosis. And the Je- I love how he says, care of the old folks home. Did you ever notice that? He says, uh, send the message, care of the old folks home. That was That's his code for the Jedi Masters, the old folks no home. No way. Oh, I never noticed that. I never noticed yeah, that. That's so funny. Yeah. Yep, that's yep. so cool. I love that. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the Jedi share the news with Palpatine. And Palpatine here, he needs a way to get the clone army sanctioned. So his assistant says they need to vote emergency power to him in the Senate so he can put the clone army in play. Jar Jar, who's currently covering for Padme, is more than happy to suggest the amendment because he's easily influenced. Or maybe, as I suggested in our review of episode one, maybe Jar Jar is secretly a Sith. Uh, No, Tim. The Gungans are (laughs) weak-minded and uh, Sidious, or sorry, uh, Palpatine needed uh, him in this position so he could control him so he could control his mind put this thought in and make him say this in well, that one way or, one way or another he's controlling him dean that's for sure <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> controlling <laughs> him he's not a sith he is just an idiot <laughs> i don't subscribe to that theory i just like that here's another opportunity for it to come up again when needed jar jar does what the bad guys kind of need done yeah but isn't it better that he's just a dumb dumb and he was influenced I think that's better. Uh, I think it's better for I think it's better for Palpatine's plan that he got this idiot in this position that he could influence. I agree. It is better for his plan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Look, I'm just having fun. I'm trying to have some fun here. I okay? know. I know. Settle too. down. I just Can hate that theory fun? so much. <laughs> I, I thought <laughs> I was have gonna... fun talking about Star Wars. That's crazy <laughs> talk. <laughs> I came here wanting to have some fun, guys. Come on. Oh, we are. We are. Where are your wild theories? What the hell? <laughs> Um, so <laughs> this basically takes us to the final act here on Geonosis where a bunch of fun things are happening. Um, yep. like the, the whole C-3PO thing that we already touched on. I just, I love it. He, he gets his head knocked off. His head gets put on a droid. Uh, and then a droid's head gets put on his body and he's just, it's so funny. Both of them going around is just, I liked it so much. Um, and I, I really like the three alien, uh, you know, during the execution scene of, of Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme. I love the three different alien creatures, yeah. you know, that they that they bring out. I think all three of them are really, really cool looking and a lot of fun. And I think they do a lot of fun things with them. Like, you know, just it, having the creatures randomly killing Geonosian, uh, you know, guards and stuff. Yeah. And, and I like how, you know, pa- I'd like... Even though it becomes sort of sexualized with her shirt getting ripped, um, I do like how 
they sh- how they show she Academy's so capable, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that they really show in this movie and in the next one how capable Padme is, and then you can kind of like extrapolate that outwards and be like, uh, you know. Uh, Princess Leia, just just as capable and everything, and I think that's really really a cool thing. I've always loved the Padme character. I think she's an awesome character, but I love how you see her do her own thing. Like she freaking climbs up that pillar and yeah. fights that cat creature on her own. She doesn't ask for help. She doesn't ask somebody to save her. She does it herself. And yes, he slices her back and it rips the middle of her shirt. And yes, I love it. I don't care. She, I love it. She looks amazing. She's got great abs. But she has great abs. But I do think it kind of overshadows that little thing. Overshadows yeah. really how strong of a character Padme is. I mean, look, Lucas is coming at this movie from a different time period. You know, I think nowadays a different director wouldn't have ha- would not have sexualized Padme as much as Lucas did. Um, I think George Lucas has a, had a huge crush on Natalie Portman. Uh, Cause he, I mean, he's just putting her in even on Tatooine. He's showing off her midriff. It's, it's crazy. Um, but I think a lot of it sadly undercuts how capable she is, but that whole scene is awesome. There's so many, little fun things about the execution scene. Like the fact that like, you know, Nuke Gunray has this like thing like that he wants to kill Padme because so funny. You know, she's, I love that. He's he like, hates her she so can't much. do that. Shoot her, you know, kill her, you know, I love that stuff. And then, you know, you got, it's just, you got so many cool things happening in this scene. And then just to have it all coalesced with, with freaking Mace Windu walking out and, you know, putting that lightsaber up against Jango Fett's neck, which is of course like foreshadowing. And, uh, but it's so freaking cool. And then it, that it's like such a seamless way to transition right into the, the, the arena battle. And then the arena battle transitions right into the, the, the big battle. It's just, it doesn't st- Stop, yeah. which is really cool. And then you see all kinds of cool stuff like Jango Fett kills that one, you know, a dinosaur looking Jedi and then does the cool little, you know, gunslinger thing with his, you know, gun. It's just it puts it back in the holster. Really cool. He flamethrows uh, Obi or um, Mace Windu's, you know, uh, Jedi robes. And then he gets into the conflict, which was a terrible idea. He should have just stayed back and, <laughs> and watched things happen. But he got into it. And yeah, it's just. The moment that his backpack got destroyed, I was like, oh, he's dead. He, right. He's not yeah. going to make it out of this. But I, you know what? I will say this. He stood his ground against a Jedi coming at him full force. So you know what? He went out like a like a dude. He went out like a bro. And uh, and that totally. was it. Yeah. Totally. So, there's, But there's so much fun stuff to watch in this. So my one question, my one note that I noticed this time, and I wanted to ask you guys. When the Jedis do come in to rescue him, they, this one Jedi throws Anakin a green lightsaber. My question to you is, who A, was that just that guy's lightsaber? Does he have two? Or is this or is there some kind of like, you know, warehouse of like generic lightsabers that you can grab in the Jedi temple to kind of use? Because like we know that the lightsaber is your is your life. Anakin or Obi-Wan says that. You have to hold on to it. They make it. It's unique to them. Yeah. So did that guy just throw his own lightsaber, you know, and give it to Anakin? I just was like, oh, who's, whose lightsaber is that, actually? <laughs> That's interesting that he would just be like, uh, grab, grab a couple extra. We probably need yeah, a couple more. We, yeah, I we like might that. Need yeah. Him, yeah. <laughs> I never really thought where those came from. I, I like it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he just grabbed them off the wall when they were leaving he the might, temple. Yeah. They're like, hey, grab a couple extra. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe they have some sparring lightsabers yeah. or something, you know, or I don't yeah. know. But yeah, so. I've never thought about it before, but it was, he probably had two, if that was the case. He probably, yeah, maybe he just had that two. That guy, yeah. If, if they're so important, why wouldn't you just carry two with you all the time, right? Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I, I just, I want, oh, go ahead, Dean. I just wanted to say, like, because we're talking about the battle, I just, I did want to say that I really do actually love the um, Anakin and Padme scene right before the battle. I do like that a lot. I just, Where she I confesses just don't think her movie... love to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just like the scene. I just don't think that the movie earned the scene, but I actually really like it. I, I, I think it's a great moment. I love two characters sort of confessing their love right before they're about to die or right before they think they're going to die. They're just going into it and they're like, you know what? You know, I got to tell you, I love you. I, I really liked it. I really liked that part um, because then for me, it makes it makes for me the best part between them, like Anakin and Padme during that fight. Like I'm totally on board with like the stuff they're saying to each other. I do find it charming during the fight. I I like how they're interacting with each other, working together to fight, um, you know, just in that entire battle. I I think it's really fun that, that whole part. I just, I wanted to earn it. I wanted to earn up to that part. I, I completely agree with you, Dean. Yeah. This whole arena battle, the beauty of it for me was, Mace Windu coming in and bringing, oh, I don't know, 40 Jedi with him. And they so cool. flood this arena. And you can see it in the background. There's like, you can see glowing lightsabers blurry in the background of like each level of this arena. And you can see the Geonosians are like, they all start to fly away as these Jedis have shown yeah. up. They're all scared and they're going away. And this is this is something we get once and only in this entire franchise, which is an army of Jedi fighting. You never again will see 40 Jedi together fighting in a battle. And I thought it was so beautiful just seeing all these lightsabers, seeing them work together, fighting this army. Lots of them get killed. Um, You know, I'm not, if, if you watch the Clone Wars cartoon series, a battle like this, 40 Jedi would not be getting killed. So, I, I had to take this one with a grain of salt, but sure, uh, a bunch of them get killed. Then, like when when Mace Windu shows up with the Jedi, you expect that to be the end of this battle. Like that's all you need is you need these Jedi. They're gonna come in. They're gonna win the battle. That's not what happens though. They get circled. They're all about to be killed, and then Yoda comes with the clone army. That's like the real save of the day. Is this this army is now in play? And I mean, how cool was that part when this army comes in and it looks so great and there's so many clone soldiers just on the ground fighting, shooting. There's this really cool like dust uh, dust storm scene where you can't even really tell who's fighting who. It, it really had a like a great war feeling like of just chaos of both yeah, sides yeah. just fighting. It was, and I love the way the the clone troopers looked. I I do like I I personally I love the Revenge of the Sith clone trooper armor more. Um, but I thought this was I thought the way they looked here was really neat. And while I liked the color designation of who they are, like what your rank is, I do find that to be impractical. Um, just going from like a, a Vietnam era sort of mentality, you know, uh, high ranking officials would never wear, would never show it because you would be sniped, right. uh, you know, from a distance. So in my head cannon, what I say happens by the time we get to uh, the OT with stormtroopers and everything, I think that 
to us, they all look white, you know, but if you are actually wearing the helmet, you would actually be able to see through the heads up display, the HUD, who was your mm. commanding officer. I think cool. those colors would be apparent if you had the helmet on. Um, but that being said, I think it's, I think it really made them look cool. And I do like how it looks just knowing uh, like having a military mindset. It's just a bad idea to let the enemy know who your officers are in your ranks. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. But all of this scene is amazing, though. The action is just, I think this is some of the most fun Star Wars action we've we have ever seen up until this point. Now, I do think the Revenge of the Sith, the opening battle is just, un- like, untouchable. But this right here is probably some of the biggest straight-up, like, ground battle action shoot since we've seen since. I, I know that, like, I know that, like, uh, Phantom Menace was kind of similar with its final battle. But let's let's be honest. Both of them were like both of the opponents were CGI. There was something that felt just fake about Gungans versus, you know, and I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But there's something different about this because there's real actors involved. All the clones are obviously CGI, but there's still those Jedi. So there's something that makes it a little bit different. And I would say that this is probably the biggest ground battle that we've ever seen in Star Wars. I think it's bigger than Empire Strikes Back, the Hoth battle. I think it's bigger than than the Naboo battle. Um, I think it's one of the biggest battles we've ever seen even in the the sequel trilogies i can't think of a battle bigger with like more pieces happening yeah. you know oh yeah. this is for sure the biggest in the movie franchise uh it's yeah. the, it's, so many this layers. Is the yeah it's the big jedi battle um yeah this is cool. very reminiscent of the the clone wars cartoon the the gendy tartatovsky clone wars cartoon they have some really right. big epic battles like this um, that's kind of what this reminds me of, but you don't get anything like this again in the movies, which is what makes it so much fun because this is what you want to see. We, we all wanted to see a battle like this with the clone troopers and the Jedi fighting side by side. This is why the clone wars, um, animated series did so well because this it's all this, it's the Jedi and the clone troopers fighting yeah. together battle after battle. It, uh, it's really great. Um, we get a glimpse at the Death Star plans here, which is cool because one of the Separatist leaders is the one with the plans. Yeah. And Dooku takes it and says, I'll give this to my master. So what I want... And that that Separatist leader, by the way, is Poggle the Lesser. (laughs) Okay. Nice. Great. (laughs) It's great to know. Uh, I'm a nerd. (laughs) We're all nerds. But what I like about this is, look... Sidious has this master plan, but he's taking and borrowing wherever he can. He didn't invent and create everything himself. The clone army, somebody else placed the order for it. He just came in and funded it. The Death Star, someone else has already created the plans for it. He's, he kind of steals it. He takes it. He builds it, right? Like he's just utilizing things wherever he can grab them from. He's resourceful. Like every great leader. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Awesome. So Anakin and Obi-Wan in this battle, they follow Dooku and they engage him. And what a beautiful display of power as Dooku just completely owns them. He electrocutes Anakin, then almost kills Obi-Wan. He cuts Anakin's arm off. That's limb number two. Nice. Then when all seems lost, he's about to kill them both. Yoda shows up to fight Dooku. And when I was in the theater, the entire theater 
erupted in applause as yeah. Master Yoda came walking around that corner. It was it was hopeless. All seemed hopeless. No, nobody in that theater knew how Dooku was going to get defeated. And Yoda comes out. It was a beautiful moment. It's a moment we've all been waiting for because we want to know how tough is Yoda. What can this guy yeah. do? Let's see it. Show us. He's the master. He's the most powerful Jedi. Prove it. And they prove it here. And it turns out he's pretty tough. We'll give him that. He's pretty. He's pretty very fast tough. Too. He's pretty good. <laughs> he can absorb the uh, Sith electricity. And pretty awesome. Shoot nice him back. Trick. His hands. With his hands. He, he does it without his lightsaber. He does yeah. it with his hands. His hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And shoots it. Like, he absorbs it and shoots it back. And shoots it and back. And then another yeah. time, he just absorbs it and he just, like, kind of puts it away. Puts it in his pocket. It is, he <laughs> he'll put it in his pocket for later. For I'll save that for later. <laughs> <laughs> I might need that. It's awesome. Yeah. So then he gets in the light, lightsaber fight. He's leaping around. He's going bananas. Just an yeah. awesome moment. It's an awesome Star Wars moment. Um, really great buildup to this. It all happens at the end when we need like a really positive thing to come. You know, this is what comes. And we learned that Yoda was Count Dooku's master as well. Very, very cool. It's scene. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I remember, I can remember seeing this in the theater. I can remember the theater exploding when it happened. Uh, I will say upon rewatch, I don't, think it's as good as I thought it was originally. Uh, I think it's a bit CGI heavy, and then cl- it's just close-up shots of Dooku, just you know, Christopher Lee just swinging his arm around, you know? But if you can just kind of, like, put that aside and just let it wash over you, it's it's exhilarating, but I just don't think it's... it's, it's I just don't think it's as exhilarating as the first time I watched it. For sure. Yeah. It never will be, right? Like, you'll never be yeah. able to relive yeah. that moment. Um, I, I think you have to do that with this whole movie is just let it wash over you. You have to put a lot of stuff aside. You got to let kind of the big moments hit. You got to look for meaning in some of the moments that maybe don't hit, hit with you. I feel like almost every moment in this movie has some sort of story building involved in it, but you got to look for it. If you're getting bored and you're tuning out, you're missing a lot of story points that actually help and build this story. So that's why the negativity of people, when they talk about these movies, they'll probably never be able to get past that because you have to be open to this movie to really let it work for you. It's why these movies really worked for me the first time. It's why they worked for me after that. But then when I took a break from it and came back, they stopped working for me because I, I knew of the negativity that came along with it and I bought into that. After that happened, I, I stopped watching them for a while and this whole franchise walkthrough is forcing me to go back to them, watch them in order, one after another, really get into it, get a feel for it. And I'm just, I'm loving it. Like I'm, I'm able just to let it wash over me. That's a great, that's a great way to put it, Corey. And it's, and I'm loving it. It's just, I feel like a kid again. George Lucas is such a singularly, uniquely different director from anybody else out there. I mean, no one, I don't think, it, we've seen it. We've seen it with the sequel, the sequel movies, you know? I, I think that it's hard to make Star Wars. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, like, 
abstract where you're like that feels like star wars that doesn't feel like star wars that does it's but you're never like why you're like i don't know it just feels like star wars and i think lucas obviously he always knows what's what feels like star wars but i do think that he's such a different director with things and he also doesn't care about things that other directors care about like like getting like a great performance out of his actors i don't think that that's important to him i think what's important to him is that he's telling this monster story the story that is i mean think about it he knows at this point he knows whatever he puts out there is gonna be in people's minds for the rest of their lives for years to come these are not movies anymore that are just gonna come and go these are gonna be they have to add to a can and there's so much responsibility and i think he's aware of that and i think him being one man I think there's only so much he could do, you know, with everything. And I, but I do think it takes a certain kind of like, you have to get into the George Lucas mindset to, to really get into all the star Wars films, you know, or like really get into the minutia of them. And it's, it's, you have to give George Lucas some allowances to, to kind of not care about little things here and there and then just move past them. Yep. Agreed. hundred percent. I think something that's really subtle in the film and really, uh, really powerful is just that arrogance of the Jedi. Like that's really important, but it's really subtle. It's never just sort of stated. And even all the way down to this final battle where they know that like something's going on with the, with the dark side, it's clouding their vision. But Obi-Wan is just like, oh yeah, me and Anakin can take, can take this guy. We can take Count Dooku, no problem. It's like, they're not even thinking like, what if he's what are the Sith? Like, he's been doing all this stuff behind our back. What if he's one of the Sith? He's going to have, like, how can us two take him? He's just so confident. And they walk in there and they both get their ass kicked. Like, there's some pretty good fights, but they both just get their ass kicked. So I, I loved that. I loved that they needed Yoda. They didn't have it under control. Um, and, you know, there's other things throughout the film where, you know, Yoda and Mace Windu have all this confidence um, and I just are kind of ignoring other things out there um, when it's it's yeah, it's just that arrogance of them. And they, and they get caught. They get caught here. Well, they get caught because. I don't think they've ever come across force lightning before. You know, when yeah. you think about it, that didn't happen. There's no force lightning in uh, Phantom Menace. So right. technically, if you if you start there, this is the f- first time you see it. Yeah. I think that is a huge trick up Dooku's sleeve that just immediately throws them off guard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like Yoda must have known about that because... Yoda would have yeah. after, after it, like seven hundred, you know, eight hundred yeah. years of but experience. Right. Yoda's knows. keeping secrets though, so like Yoda's not telling Definitely. anyone that he can't see the what the you know forward into the future. So yeah, right. he probably didn't tell anybody about it. But no, but that's actually a good point. Yoda's keeping secrets, and I think that is to your point, Dean, uh, the hubris of the Jedi, and and thus begins the downfall of the Jedi. Yeah, even just like they're so skeptical of making Anakin a Jedi, and then when they decide to, they just forget about him. They don't care anymore. Like they're sending him on missions and stuff, and Obi Wan's even like, "I don't think he's ready." And they're like, "Oh yeah, he's he's fine. He's, no problem." It's like, why aren't you yeah, keeping yeah, an eye on him? Yeah, not gonna lie, Mace Windu's a dick to Anakin from the get go. Yeah, totally, the entire prequel series. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and I love Samuel Jackson. I love Mace Windu. I love the character, and I'm like, dude, you're a dick. You're kind of a dick to Anakin. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like the foreshadowing of Dooku fighting three Jedi, three powerful Jedi, including arguably the most powerful, and he gets away, right? 
that's a bad sign for the Jedi. Yeah. So I kind of like that that yeah. happened, right? Uh, because y- sure. Yoda yeah. was trying to kill him. Um, yeah. You know, Anakin and Obi-Wan were trying to kill him. And three of them. Yeah. No one's trying to arrest him. He, they're trying to kill they're him. Trying make, to kill him. Make no mistake. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone that powerful, they just want to kill. And they can't do it. Yeah. Three of them against one. And he's the apprentice. Right. That's a that's yeah. a bad sign for the Jedi. It's a bad sign. But but then but that's also because you need to look at all of these movies with Anakin in like in order together. So when Anakin in Revenge of the Sith fights him and beats him one on one, you're right, Tim. That's kind of like a, a like an indication of how powerful he is. Yeah. Yep. yep a- Anakin, not Dooku. Yeah. No, and I mean literally that moment in the franchise like comes almost immediately after this movie ends. Yeah. So uh, you know. Yeah, some years have passed, but it, it is yeah. Anyways, that that's next. That's next episode. Uh, but Dooku escapes and he meets up with Sidious, who's very happy to hear that the war has begun. Obi Wan meets up with Mace and Yoda, and Yoda doesn't think Dooku was telling the truth about a Sith Lord running the Senate, but that they'll keep an eye on it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Go, sure, great, great sure, job, guys. buddy. Yeah, sure. Sure, little, little buddy. Yeah. Uh, can I just say real quick that whatever that Sith castle in the factories of Coruscant Ooh, that, cool, that Sidious eh? was building, oh, yeah. I loved it, and I'm so disappointed that we never go there mm. again in Revenge of the yeah. Sith because yeah. I always thought it was really cool looking. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was just on the outskirts of like the main city. It was very, very neat. Yeah. 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 But uh, this movie ends with the glory of the clone army. We get to see all the troops, the ships, the Imperial March is playing in the background, and Supreme Chancellor Palpatine is looking on. We see Anakin and Padme have gotten married, and the only witnesses being R2-D2 and C-3PO, and the end. Yeah. And, and again, like, good ending i i kind of like that they get married at the end just yeah. you know like i like it as an end thing to the movie yeah. i like that. yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean they, yeah. they were talking most of the movie how that would never be a possibility yeah right so yeah. it's it is a bit of a nice twist that that happens right so it yeah it's, it's very important it's very important it's very to the important. story that like they are going to be gather together and they are going to have to do it in secret so it's just kind of uh, it, it's fun. It's fun for the next one to be like, how are they going to hide this from everyone? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or yeah. are they going to, mm-hmm. are they going to try, right? Are they even going to or try? Or are they going to try? Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Oh, I liked it. Do you like it a yeah. little bit more, nah. Dean? I no? do. I do like it a little bit more for okay. sure. I, I really only have like kind of that one major problem about it. And it just always gets in the way when I watch it. Yeah. So, and because it's kind of the first half of the movie, I started out and I'm like, Oh, I don't like this thing. Um, so that, but then I always come around by the end. I, I just, the end is that, that the end is so good. I, I just love so much, so much about it. So I do like it. I, I don't know if it's going to scrape its way from the bottom, but I do, <laughs> I do like the movie. <laughs> like I, I still, yeah. I still enjoy watching it. We'll always watch it when I'm doing the watch throughs. Um, it's not like I would ever skip it or anything. Um, I think it's cool that it's called attack of the clones and the clones are actually on the side of the Jedi's like that's something that I didn't expect going into it. I thought the clones are going to be bad attack of the clones. Right. We've got to fight off the clones, but the clones right. are with the Jedi's in this movie. I thought that was kind of a, a cool little twist to the end. Um, yeah. And one thing I did just wanted to add at the end here, 
that I did notice this time around is the first time. And it kind of goes with the rock and roll part of, uh, of Corey's thesis. And that's the head getting cut off of Django Fett. I, there's Bobo Fett has that head at the end and he's, he always got the helmet at the end. And I always thought like, is Django Fett's head still in there? It is. It, yes, it is. It's, you it's know, totally in there. <laughs> this time around, I noticed it's not. Because oh. when the head gets cut off, there's two shadows. One goes oh. flying off screen, and the other is the shadow for the helmet. Oh, I even really? rewound to see. If, yeah, I even rewound to oh. see if I could if I could see. There's a shadow that goes flying off screen, and I think that's okay. his head because that makes okay. more sense than just like that, holding your father's head. Yeah, yeah. No, you, that that's cool. Like logistically, the head should not go flying out of the helmet. Well, unless it's just a helmet that just goes down. That's probably a tight fitting helmet. But we've all seen so many memes of like they photoshopped it where he's like holding the and, and, and they someone actually right. makes the head yeah. fall out, which that's what I've always expected. But yeah, yeah. I'll dude, I'll think, go back and, and rewatch yeah. that for that. I think the head goes flying out and he's just holding the helmet at the end. That's perfect. What I, would say. I mean, yeah. weirdly, that's less morbid for for Boba yeah. Fett. Yeah. I like I like him holding the head. I like like what that would do to his character and like his yeah. thirst yeah. for revenge. So That's hold true. yeah. So holding the helmet for me is just like now I need to do this. Like I need to be this. I need to put on this armor. I need to be this guy. Um, where the head is a little bit different. <laughs> you know what would have been so cool then if there was no head in that helmet. If he had just turned it and put it on at that moment, that would oh, have been hell yeah. So that would have been awesome. Cool. That would have been fucking. That would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So like my final wrap up thoughts like. I do love this movie. I have such a soft spot in my heart for it. It's not in my like top three or anything. Honestly, it's probably in one of the, the lower ends. But for me, all Star Wars is like at a base level. I'd love it. You know what I mean? Just I love of some course, more yeah. than others. Um, but I will say that I think this conversation from both of you uh, brought about things that make me want to go back and right now uh, revisit it, look at it from a different light. I think, Tim, you know what you're saying about possibly, uh, you know, Anakin manipulating Padme through the force. And then that kind of like led my thought into like, you know, maybe he's doing it even subconsciously. I, I think that adds a, a lot better layer to it, you know, than, than what I originally intended. And Dean, I don't have any way to dispute the thing, the problems that you have with it. I think you're completely valid in, in all of the, the problems that you have with it. And, you know, I, I I'm with you on, on most of it. It's just whether it, you know, how much it affects my, my enjoyment of the film or not is, is a little bit different, but this movie, there's so much stuff happening. There's, and by that, I mean like fun stuff. Like it's, it's such an action packed film with so many neat locations and different things to look at and different things happening and such fun characters. They're cloners. I mean, like how much fun is Dex? You know, it's just so fun. There's so much cool shit going on in this movie that you can really overlook. It's, it's, it's downfalls and it's downfalls are pretty freaking glaring. We brought them pretty much all to, to light here. Um, but I think what you're left with is a great start of the Clone Wars cartoons, you know? Like, right now, you can go right into the Clone Wars cartoons or not. You also have a great start to Darth Vader's arc, you know, for his downfall in the next movie. I think it's one of those things where it works both ways. You don't have to watch the Clone Wars. You can go right into Revenge of the Sith. I think it still works. But if you want to watch the Clone Wars, you're going to get so much more out of it and everything. And it's it's just... 
it's really cool. And George Lucas makes movies that just, they hold up over time. Like, I mean, years later, we can complain about the, the CGI. We complain about all these other little things here and there. But at the end of the day, we're all going to be rewatching this movie in 50 years. Like, it's going to be a part of our life for the rest of our lives. And I and it's still going to fit in place. It's still going to be what it needs to be. And that is just the, the beginning of the downfall of Anakin. And both of you guys, and I think both of you guys really helped me see some subtle things in this movie that I, it's, it's so funny. He's just, Lucas is so bad directing actors, but yet he's quite good at putting in some subtle, subtle stuff in here. And he is a master craftsman, even though he might not be a master in every part of his craft, he's still a master craftsman of filmmaking. And this movie, I think, is a representation of that. And you know what? Long live the notorious GL. Mm-hmm. I would just say, for my part... You know, anybody out there, check this movie out again. Try to try to get the negative, you know, um, the negative vibes that a lot of people put on this movie for whatever reason. You know, just try to push that out of your memory. Just maybe go into this movie with a fresh outlook. I, th- I think it's a really good movie. Corey, dude, thank you so much for joining. Please plug some of uh, some of the stuff you do with everybody. Sure. Yeah, you guys. Uh, hey, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Thank you so much. I honestly, I always love coming on Talking Back. It's such a great show. I love both of you. I respect both of you as as content creators, as artists, and you know, you're both my friends. So I I love you both. But uh, on, if you guys, uh, thank you. If uh, if you want to hear more of me, um, you can <laughs> a lot more of me. You can swing over to Podcasting After Dark and uh, check us out over there. We are a uh, my our buddy Zach and I uh, uh, do a cult movie podcast where we basically walk through and break down uh, cult movies. You know, from from the eighties and the seventies and the nineties, weird stuff, crazy stuff, weird wild stuff uh, like Scanners. I'm currently editing editing our four hour breakdown and review of David Cronenberg's Scanners. So yeah, go check us out over at Podcasting After Dark. We also have a spinoff show over there called TV Obscura, where we talk about a bunch of weird TV shows that no one ever remembers. And uh, of course, you can check me out every week with our pal Adam on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are, by the time this drops, we are already into season eight, and we've done an after show for every single episode all the way through. So if I'm not, uh, if I'm not, you know, talking about cult movies or talking about Seinfeld, I'm listening to talking back. So and I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you guys always having me on here and, uh, hopefully, hopefully I can come on again and talk about another ill-fated Star Wars film. Hmm. Maybe, uh, we love maybe you, Corey, Corey might be you. back. <laughs> Corey, you. we love you. You're welcome anytime. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dean, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach, and we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark. 
a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Thanks for listening to the episode, everybody. We wanted to let you know if you'd like to show your support for Talking Back, then please check out our Patreon page where you can join one of our membership tiers and unlock bonus episodes and more each and every month. Or you can check out our page at buymeacoffee.com slash talking back where you can make a one-time donation of any amount or feel free to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. All three options are great ways to show your support for the show. That's it. We're done.